Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGurt. And Ellen, I left you alone for this episode. I know you did. And we missed you very, very, very much. This was absolutely, in so many ways, the perfect conversation for you because we had heavy hitting finance to get to, but we also had the state of the world to talk about. So we missed you very much. Yeah, you were talking to the CEO of Instacart, which has had a fascinating pandemic rise. I think at one point it was uh, thought to have a valuation of around $40 billion. Uh, Today it's a fraction of that, $15 billion. So quite an up and down during the pandemic delivery boom. Right. And it was it was an interesting thing to watch, probably not an interesting thing to think about leading. Uh, Fiji Simo, who's the CEO, as you mentioned, has just passed her one year anniversary in the job. And I, I have to say, she was a fascinating conversation. Investors, of course, agree with you that Instacart's valuation is not only diminished, but actually up for debate. Um, but you may not be surprised that she's optimistic about Instacart's future. So, Ellen, I, I was excited about this because of Instacart's rise and fall. But but why did you think it was important to have Vici on the show? So, Alan, as you know from our reporting, there are just not enough women in top positions in business, and they often don't tend to last, especially if there's a turnaround situation. So I was curious to learn how she was planning for that. But her resume is just incredible. She left her position as head of the Facebook app to leave Instacart. And in addition to all of that, I find her perspective on fighting for inclusion in the industry and beyond. And Alan, you're, you're going to love the stakeholder piece in particular. Uh, she's committed to using Instacart to address food insecurity, which is a pressing social issue if there ever was one. I can't wait to hear more. Let's dive in. So before we begin, I do have to absolutely confess my Instacart usage. It's off the charts. You've saved me many, many, many hours of shopping, but mostly you've saved me many, many hours of worry. I'm at my mom's house, like so many of us, in the middle of of caring for many generations. She's 92, very frail. The last two years have been just awful. And wherever she was at the hospital or um, in in a facility or now at home, I've been able to reach her and her caregivers with food and groceries with people I could trust from places I could trust when I couldn't be there. So I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you for that. And I bet you hear stories like that all the time. Well, thank you, Ellen. That, that warms my heart to, to hear that. And yes, I mean, our, our core mission is to give people access to food. And so we see a lot of these uh, different stories where this access is really critical. I mean, the other day I had a friend who told me that his mom has, uh, you know, multiple sclerosis and that she felt like Instacart gave her a little bit of her independence back uh, so that she wouldn't have to rely on other people to, you yeah. know, to get food for her. And so all, all of these stories are just so in line with our mission. And, you know, that's that's the reason I joined the company. So uh, definitely lovely to hear that. So we're going to dig into all those details of the mission and the future of Instacart. But you are rising to the top spot at a very important company at a very tough time in the world, Um, but also for women in top top spots. This is really a, a challenging time. So let's 
Let's start with you first um, and get to know a little bit about your journey. So you mentioned where you grew up, and it is an extraordinary story. Not a lot of tech company CEOs come from a fishing family in the south of France, but you did. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a family of fishermen across multiple generations. My dad's a fisherman, grandpa, great grandpa, all my uncles, my grandma's a fishmonger. Uh, and, and none of them in my family wow. ever graduated even from high school. I was the first one to graduate from high school. Uh, and so, you know, this thing that, that I always thank my parents for is that despite their, you know, humble, uh, upbringing, they always instilled in me this notion that with hard work and a, and a great work ethic, anything's possible. Uh, and so, you know, I, I basically worked very hard and uh, and ended up uh, studying at the top business schools in France and then, you know, really traveling for the first time when I was in my late teens, because, you know, given my, my dad's job, we, we never had an opportunity to travel uh, and kind of fell in love with the US, uh, felt like I, I should pursue my American dream, definitely influenced by the movies and TV shows. I, uh, I always joke that when I, when I flew to California, I still had the soundtrack of ZOC, you know, California, here we come. And, uh, and so, come. so that was, uh, that, so I was that, but hey, it, it worked out. So I'm, I'm extremely ha uh, happy to be here. Uh, I'm going to ask you a big question about when you knew you were ready to run a big company, but I read a wonderful interview with you where you talked about your work and your management style. But before you answered the question and to prepare for the interview, I just love this. You polled your team at Facebook and asked how they would rate your core competency, um, which I thought was just a wonderful, smart, open thing to do. And and here's what they said. Simo has the uncanny ability to juggle many important projects and priorities without losing focus. I would add to that your openness to feedback that, but as well. But how has the work that you did on Facebook and all of the things that you tackled, which were huge problems with huge ramifications, and, and as I mentioned, a troubled time in the world, how does that prepare you to run a big company? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it prepared me so well in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, the first one is, you know, Facebook's growth really came from building the absolute best products. And uh, a lot of what I bring to Instacart now is a, a product mindset where I think we're going to win through our product. And so if you look at the last year, we've, you know, we've massively increased the number of features that we release and uh, really transformed the user experience. So that's always going to be a focus on my, of mine. And I'm, I'm really lucky to have learned that at Facebook. Um, the other thing is, really um, anticipating, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, leading Facebook through a, a troubled time, uh, anticipating all of the ways in which, in which technology can go right, but also all the ways in which technology can go wrong, yeah. and really thinking of technology as, as a means to an end, as a tool uh, that can be incredible if put to good use, but can also be dangerous if not. And so, uh, you know, my teams now can tell you that I obsess over like, can we make sure that every interaction between a customer and our company, a customer and our shoppers is really going to be the best that it can be? How can we be proactive in, in preventing abuse? And so that definitely came from Facebook as well. And then uh, I would say the last thing is that 
for having worked, uh, you know, directly for, for Mark for, you know, 10 years, uh, the things that I learned there at Facebook was an incredible long-term focus where you don't really focus on just the next quarter, the next half, but you have a 10-year vision of where you want to bring the company. And, you know, in my first year at Instacart, that's what I brought. We, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary as a company, and we spent the entire day talking about how we wanted to transform the industry for the next 10 years and how that was going to have a positive impact on all of our constituents. And so that's that's definitely something that's that's deeply ingrained in me. So before we get to the long term, let's talk, talk about the short term, because you you joined as CEO at a really critical time in the company, like a, a lot of companies that enjoyed a pandemic boom. It has subsided. Um, there's renewed questions about competition. Are you going to have warehouses? Are you going to continue to deepen relationships with uh, the grocery stores and other other vendors that you work with? And of course, the financial future of the company, you're going to go public. I know you can't say anything about that, but I know it's on your mind. So could you tell us about those first 100 days? So for me, you know, I, I really didn't expect to leave Facebook uh, in early 2021. Um, and I kind of fell in love with Instacart because I first joined the board of Instacart in January. Um, and, and the thing I most fell in love with was this idea that we were going to be the company that is at the heart of the relationships that people have with food. That's an incredibly privileged thing to do. Like we bring food to people's tables. I think that food is at the center of so many of the biggest issues. It's at the center of issues around health. It's at the center of issues around climate. And when we are a company that can literally give people more access to food, that can nudge them towards, uh, you know, healthier outcomes, like this is actually a really big opportunity to impact all of these core problems. And so for me, that mission is the thing that really inspired me. Now, is it going to take some time? Of course, but, uh, you know, that, that's why, uh, we invest for the long run. And I, I, when it comes to the, to the short-term environment, I think everything that has happened in the last year has almost like, I would say, reinforced my belief in the role that we can play. If you look at, you know, everything that's happening with the supply chain, everything that's happening with inflation, um, mm. it is reinforcing this notion that grocers do need a technique, a technology partner to execute on their digital transformation so that technology Technology can make the supply chain more reliable so that technology can make grocery delivery more accessible because grocery delivery shouldn't be a luxury. It should be accessible to all. And these are problems technology can solve. But grocers during this time are very focused on serving their customers, making sure products are on the shelves, like doing, you know, the things that they're best at. And we can be their partners in bringing technologies to the table that can help them really solve the even bigger problems. I want to stay on this for a second because as someone who works for a magazine that publishes lots of lists, I'm always struck at how few women run big companies. I think the latest Fortune 500, it's about 4%. I don't have that right in front of me, but it's a very low number. And I think about the Silicon Valley and I think about the tech bro culture of many, many, many decades. And I think about the extraordinary opportunity is for the daughter of a fishing empire who now sits at the reign of one of the most ex exceptional multi-billion dollar valued companies, tech companies that sits in such a 
intimate place in the world. And you're right, that last mile delivery between a family and their food is really, really important. Do you have a sense that um, unlikely executives with vision and a track record and the work ethic, which you mentioned, are going to be able to succeed uh, in Silicon Valley or in big companies going forward? Is, is something shifting in the zeitgeist that lets people of color, women, anybody from not from central casting be more likely to succeed now? You know, I wish I, I could answer that with even more conviction. I, I do think that this is shifting because now we're at least having the conversation. You, you know, it, it's interesting. I've, I've always had a, a uh, difficult relationship with, uh, with this debate because on the one hand, I think putting a very big spotlight on, uh, the issues and the challenges that, that women and people of color face is incredibly important. On the other hand, I think we need to do it in a way that's also inspiring and not discouraging for these people. Uh, you know, I went back to my high school, um, year, I think it was a year ago and I, I gave this talk and there was this woman in the room that uh, said, you know, with everything that we were hearing about women in tech, it feels like we shouldn't even try. It feels like this is just going to be so hard. And it was so heartbreaking for me because I was like, no, I mean, was it hard for me? Yeah, of course. Like we all have like the stories we can all talk about, about discrimination. But by focusing on my goal and trying to look at what makes me unique and try to turn that into an advantage and never think of myself as like the victim, I was actually like able to overcome that. And was it harder for me? For sure. Would it be even harder for people of color? Absolutely. But I, I hope that we can provide role models and examples so that uh, these people feel like they can still make it. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's just like very discouraging. Yeah, I hear that. I agree. It must have been a thrill for you to go back to see your high school too. Yeah, it was it was really fun. <laughs> I'm here with Joe Ukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US and the sponsor of this podcast for all three of its seasons. Thank you for that, Joe. Pleasure to be here, Alan. Joe, business is facing so many challenges these days. The continued pandemic, the battle for talent, supply chain problems, rising inflation, and now on top of all of that, war in Europe. How are companies responding to all this disruption? Alan, you're seeing a remarkable level of optimism in the face of so many varied challenges. And by and large, I'd attribute that to a recognition that this is just the new normal, the constant curveballs that will be thrown at us, but at the same time, given how successfully so many of these organizations have navigated through these things over the past couple of years, a growing confidence that we'll be able to continue to navigate the issues that get thrown at us and grow our businesses. But to do that, we are absolutely seeing a new brand of leadership emerge, grounded in resilience, in agility, in a learning mindset. These are the most important leadership attributes, and in an environment where we should just expect that change and disruption are going to be at a consistently high level of intensity. The problems aren't going away, Joe, right? <laughs> that you have to manage through them. I had a CEO say to me recently that if you put together a list of the top 20 risks one week, something big's gonna hit the next week, and it probably isn't even on that list. And that's just a reflection 
reflection of the number of different phenomena in the world right now and the level of complexity that businesses are managing through. Joe, thank you. Alan, it's a real pleasure. I want to dig in a little bit to the vision and the hard problems you're trying to solve and stakeholderism. We spend a lot of time talking about the broader stakeholders that business leaders need to think about to lead today. And you mentioned uh, healthy food and accessibility to food and that this should be a, a right, not a privilege. And I'm I'm curious, it seems like that's your that's your stakeholder issue because I spend so much time staring at my Instacart app. I notice when Snap EBT payments became possible. And that seemed to me a, a pretty big uh, indication of where you were going with all of this. What's your vision for food and food insecurity um, here, but also around the world? So the thing that's still completely crazy is that there's 23 million Americans right now that live in food deserts and 13 million kids that are in food insecure homes. That seems insane in our day and age. That's a problem we should be able to solve. And uh, the good news is that when you look at online grocery delivery, it has two very big uh, advantages on this problem. One is that it can turn food deserts into places where you can actually get fresh food because now uh, we actually cover 96% of the U.S. with at least one option for fresh food, uh, fresh food delivery uh, for, for Americans. And so it just literally gives access to, to food. And then the second thing is that we've actually done research that shows that when you have access to online grocery delivery, you also make healthier food choices. You buy more food, foods and vegetables, for example. And so I think we need to attack kind of both problems. First is the problem of access. And then second is a problem of like food choices that you make because they have a massive impact of, on health. We know that poor nutrition is a very big driver of poor health, health outcomes. And so for us, it's really about attacking the problems on, on both of these vectors. During this time in particular, it's really important because we are seeing, you know, that Americans are putting less food on their table because of inflation. And uh, everything we've done with Instacart is gives them access to better discounts uh, on on um, grocery, uh, gives them access to uh, lower cost uh, retailers, gives them access to bulk retailers like Costco, BJ's, Sam's Club, all of which are on our platform, and then also gives them access to ways to pay that helps them. We were, as you mentioned, a pioneer in bringing the SNAP program online. And what we're seeing is that these uh, these populations are really finding a lot of benefits with online delivery because they can manage their budget better. Very often, they don't have access to transportation. So we save them on transportation costs. Um, and we, we also allow them to really mm. control all parts of their experience and not have the stigma to pay with SNAP at checkout. And so there's a lot of benefits to moving a lot of the industry online and, and allowing access to a lot more people. And we feel incredibly strongly about that. That's at the core of our mission. But 96% of uh, across the country have at least one option. That's a really big number. How much room is left to grow adoption of online grocery delivery? How do you think about deepening your reach and, and growing your market? 
If you actually look at online penetration, uh, the grocery market uh, was about 3% online pre-pandemic and has grown to about 10% online post-pandemic. If you look at pretty much every other category of commerce, they're at 25 to 30%. So grocery is still vastly, vastly underpenetrated online. And we think we still have a 3x growth in front of us over the next, you know, like five years. And so, um, it's the largest category of commerce. It's the least penetrated online. And, and that's what's fundamentally going to drive our growth, especially since we already partner with 800 uh, grocers that represent 80% of the grocery industry. So it's really about, you know, putting the service in front of more people and, and showing them the value. And how do you think about the future of your drivers? I'm sure there's a there's a drone delivery conversation somewhere out there coming. But for now, you've got uh, a big chunk of people who are coming to our homes. They're part of the gig economy. How do you think about keeping them safe? But also, how do you think about helping them them grow their incomes? Yeah, it's it's really critical. And in fact, this year, we, we launched a set of commitments to shoppers, which do include uh, helping them earn on their own terms, uh, because flexibility is critical, helping them uh, with their safety. And um, and a lot of what uh, we've launched, you know, especially I think we launched um, more than 15 features over the last six months, uh, have to do with helping them be more in control of their earnings. Like, like figure out, uh, you know, which batch they want to pick, how to um, how to make sure that, you know, when customers tips, that's a tip stick because that's that's something that uh, obviously our shoppers care a lot about. And on the safety side, we've done a lot. Uh, we we always make sure that we alert shoppers inside the app uh, in terms of, you know, if there's any incident happening uh, in grocery stores nearby. We also launch the ability for shoppers to block customers customers because uh, we really want to make sure that we, we really respect both sides. So the same way in which, you know, a customer might have a bad interaction with a shopper, a shopper might have a really bad interaction with a customer. And so now they have the right to block them. And and also if a customer leaves a pro rating to a shopper, we've made it so that uh, it doesn't impact their their uh, future access to work if, if the rating was left for, for an unfair reason. And so all of these things are contributing to shoppers feeling like they, are, they continue to have access to flexible earnings opportunity with, on a platform that provides them with a safety net as well as uh, you know a lot of the features that they've requested uh, for many years. I want to move into a broader stakeholder vision thinking leadership question that's going to tap your legendary focus. But I, I do I should ask one traditional technical financial question. You've uh, recently slashed your your valuation by 40% and your investor uh, stated that it was even lower than that. And I know that you're walking into an unusual financial situation. There's a recession in the air and you, there's been talk about IPO for a long time. H- how do you think about the financial future for Instacart? How much time are you spending on that? And is there anything that you can safely tell us about what we can expect? 
Uh, so if you look at our trajectory, we had record uh, order growth, GTV gross transaction volume growth, uh, revenue growth uh, in 2021 and very strong momentum in 2022. And so when you look at that, we're a company that uh, is fast growing, that has a very large opportunity ahead of us, as I mentioned a second ago. Uh, and so we, we are obviously continuing to be very focused on delivering great financial results uh, but but we think that we are we have a very solid position now you know the business is doing great but uh, the markets are not doing so hot <laughs> and so when when you look yeah. at our, our peer companies uh, a lot of them have have gone down uh, for for multiple reasons that are market driven and so as a result uh, we wanted to reflect that even though we're still a private company we wanted to reflect that in our valuation in order to be able to grant uh, employees equity grants uh, that would be more favorable to them because they would be issued at a lower valuation. And so, you know, I always tell my team, we don't control the markets, but we definitely control how we react to them. Uh, in terms of, you know, business strengths, we're, uh, we're incredibly happy with our results and we have a very good opportunity ahead. Beautiful. I'm glad I asked. So thinking ahead, uh, we spend a lot of time on stakeholder issues. There's there's broader issues of climate change and carbon, but also social sustainability. And we touched a lot of, uh, a bit on that with your, your focus on food and healthy communities and, and a safe workforce. But when you look out and you think about what's happening long term, there's you know, war and division. We just mentioned recession. Monkeypox did not, did not have that on my, on my dance card earlier this year. How does that impact your long-term planning. How are you, how does that impact the way that you focus? And more importantly, how you direct the people around you to focus? Whenever my team asks me about that, I always say uh, being flexible on the destination, but very flexible on the journey because you don't know exactly how you're going to get there. And so it's the same with how I lead the company. I think the long-term vision of helping this entire industry that's in the midst of a digital transformation with all of the technologies they need to, to um, do that transformation, that's a 10-year vision. It's going to help with all of the issues you mentioned. It's going help with food access. It can help reduce food waste and therefore help with climate. Uh, it can, like technology can really lift all boats. And so we we are very anchored on, on that as a long term and that's not going to change. However, in the short term, uh, whenever we see some of these situations, we always ask ourselves, okay, what do we need to do right now to show up for our constituents, whether it's our customers, whether it's our shoppers or retailers or brand partners. How do we show up and do the best job we can in that moment? And you saw the company do that during COVID where, you know, in the span of a couple of weeks, the business 5 x and, you know, this is a company that showed up, like, you know, recruited more shoppers and made sure that people would be fed. And we have very much the same mentality now. You know, the thing we're talking the most about right now out of all of the trends you mentioned is inflation and making sure that we continue in this moment in time 
time helping people put food on the table and make the service more affordable and help our retailers during this time because technology is also going to help them go through this time. So, um, you know, I think having having a long term like North Star that that you don't compromise on, uh, but a lot of flexibility short term to figure out how this vision is going to help in the current moment, depending on what's happening, is a high maintain focus. I'm curious about your view on this because you bring such an unusual mix of um, leadership skills and management skills and execution skills to the table. But the, the the great adage of leadership is that the thing that you did to get this job is not going to the, the thing that you need to do to keep it or to get to your next job. So I'm curious as you're counseling other leaders who are you know in the pipeline or just in their journey, what's the human side of leadership that they need to focus on now? Because I think if we're going to continue to focus on inclusion and empathy and caring, as you are just even talking about food insecurity, I think a different kind of leader is likely going to going to be necessary. What do you think? Well, I love that that you bring that up. You know, I um, and and it's funny because you know during my my journey in tech. Um, I have had a lot of people I admire, but it's really hard to find role models in the sense of someone who has kind of the same ethos as what I want to bring to the table. And to be honest, that was one of my big motivations for becoming a CEO. Um, it wasn't, you know, it's like this fancy title and all of that. It was just like, can I, can I take some of that ethos, uh, and, and bring it to the highest job with the responsibility that it entails and show that there's a way to do business that's different and results in even better financial results because sometimes we think, we think these things are at odds and we we know they're not um, and so I love that you're asking the question and you know when it comes to like what, what I advise other leaders for me, a, a lot of that has come throughout my career from really focusing on finding the magic in people around me and, and shining a spotlight on it. And then also surrounding my, surrounding myself by people who see the magic in me, because I think life's too short to work for people who don't see that in you. And I think when you do that, it comes back to you tenfold. And, and the way I manage teams is always try to look at every individual and tell myself, okay, what is what is this spark? This thing that you know, if you put the spotlight on it, it's gonna it's gonna really shine. And how do we like how do we create a company that brings that out of this person? Uh, and how do we encourage everyone to do that for each other? Because when you ask about soft skills, relationships and like relationship building is at the core of any human endeavor. Like we don't get through it alone. We we need other people, and that's particularly true in companies. And so if we can create this relationship on the basis of mutual admiration for each other's magic, I think we'll create amazing companies. That is the perfect place to end. I'm so glad I asked. I'm getting weepy again. I started out weepy and I'm ending weepy. That's a sign of a very good interview. Fiji, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Ellen. It was, it was my <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> Leadership Next is edited by Alexis Hott, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producer is Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership 
Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 